we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 10. It's like not even eight verses. So y'all lucky tonight. You guys can go home early. Luke 10, is everyone there? Oh, one announcement. Forgot already. Sound of Freedom. Anybody heard of the movie? It's about human child trafficking. Great movie. We watched it in Waimea, but they're going to be playing it here January 12th, 6 p.m. For free. The Sound of Freedom. Who? Oh, yeah, yeah. Bring everybody you can. Invite all those to watch the movie. The movie's awesome. Um, really, yeah, it's good. Um, amen. So if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's Bibles in the back that you can have. Luke chapter 10. And if you're wondering what version I'm using, I'm in the NASB 1995, just in case. Just in case it sounds a little off. Now, if you would, uh, please follow along as I get to read over us. Amen says this in 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish, uh, wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for your truth, and thank you that we're so privileged. It's an honor to be able to hear from you, God. That's what it's saying, to know you and to love you, God. And, and we have this opportunity that not a lot of people do. And so, God, tonight I pray that as we come here, Lord, our hearts are ready to hear your word and from you, Lord. That we haven't fallen asleep, Lord, but that we're attentive to what you have to tell us, God, because this is life. And so I pray that you would speak to us clearly and directly and in such a way that it might change us as we leave this place. Holy Spirit, I ask you come and fill those parts of our hearts, Lord, that might be darkened. Those things that might not be of you. And God, I, I just ask you have your way tonight. Get me out of the way. Pray in this in Jesus' name. Amen. I forgot a quote. I was going to say a quote. Oh, Martin Luther said, uh, I think I posted it. He said, uh, preach as if Jesus died yesterday, rose again today, 
and he's coming back tomorrow. So just in case I'm like, ah, I'm not going to. My wife's looking at me. She's, she always tells me to chill out, just do this and slow down. I have notes. That's why I, you know, I kind of can run through them. So that's my fault. Um, I believe one of the most amazing things in this life or in our lives, your lives, um, is that we get to witness um, all the great things that God does with broken and fractured and hopeless people. And so in my experience for the four, first four, if you're new here, welcome. If for my experience in the um, first four and a half years of kind of being a Christian, I was placed at a camp uh, right inside of Anahola uh, where Jesus was the main thing. And the enemy had no seat at the dinner table. Like, and so if you ever heard about the ministry of U-Turn for Christ, that's right here. Right? And you're, and you're kind of wondering, gosh, I wonder what, that, what they're about. It's, it's pretty much in the name. It's a place where people get to come and finally find rest. They, they get to enter into something much different than the life they thought they knew was life. And guess what? Like, I know it works. <laughs> I know it works. And, and I know it works, and, that, and it's not just because of the structure, right? It's not because of what's going on. There's not because of the people there, but because God is there, right? And because God is there, he is working through this ministry, and he's working through these people. And, and so what I got to see over a long period of time is miracles after miracles after miracles after miracles. Like I've seen broken and in the eyes of the world, unrepairable lives rejuvenated, restored, preserved, their years now prolonged. I've seen broken marriages no longer broken. Right? Like these couples used to fight against each other. Now they're fighting for the kingdom of God. Right? Like I've witnessed sickness and disease healed from people's lives. Seriously. I've seen it in my life. Miracles. I've seen addictions broken and guess what? With that, depression and anxiety also lifted from them. And I've if you're hearing this for the first time, I just want to say that this isn't something new. Like, it's not. I'm saying this because this is what God has been doing for thousands of years. This is why he stepped down into his own creation to take back what we've given over to the enemy. This is what the Christmas story is all about. This is what we celebrated. The word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we might know him. And when Jesus steps into someone's life, guess what? There's evidence that he's there or he's been there. Because it says this, in him was life and this life was the light of men. The light came into this world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness couldn't do anything about it. Couldn't do nothing about it. And so when you look at a Christian, there is evidence that God's presence and power disrupted what the enemy was trying to do. And I talked about this last week, John 10, um, John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, both physically and spiritually. And so we have to understand that when the Bible talks about demons, and the Bible talks about darkness and evil forces. I pray that we don't take that as some kind of analogy or some kind of story that this person is trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us and say to us that there is a heavenly war going on that we might not be able to see, but it's the very reality we live in. 
In fact, Paul says it in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, against powers, against the present forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Meaning there is a spiritual battle happening right now here in the silence that is far louder than you could ever imagine. It's the battle for our souls because both life and death continue to chase after people here. It's the battle between God's kingdom and the kingdom of darkness, but guess what? God's kingdom wins. He wins. Jesus wins and he's been winning and he's not gonna stop anytime soon. Right, like it's not some kind of debate as to who got the better stats or the longer arm reach like MMA, right? No, this heavenly battle that's happening right now is one-sided and the Bible makes that very clear to us, especially in this text. And so what's going on here? It says in verse 17 that the 70 who were sent out by Jesus now returned with a joyful report. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but the Christian life, your life, my life here, a believer's life is full of joy. And I'm not talking about always smiling, always laughing, laughing crazy like Keone Joy. Right? Have you heard? See, he's always, he'll laugh in the weirdest, darkest moments. And I'm, not, I'm not talking about just that kind of joy. That's joy. That's good. I'm talking about even in the midst of sorrow. I'm talking about even in the midst of your darkest moments, there is a deep-rooted gladness. That's what this joy means. Gladness that cannot be taken from the believer, cannot be taken from you. It's the very joy that the Bible talks about, and I pray that you have, but before we get there, I think we can all agree that the Christian life is, has, the Christian life is full of joyful moments and full of moments of rejoicing. Like, I have yet to see the day when someone graduates from U-turn, Auntie Jean isn't crying her eyes out. <laughs> it's a beautiful moment. I, never once have I not seen her with dry eyes. Like, she's always crying. <laughs> it's good crying. Like, there are times, like, there are these times where our hearts become so full of joy and gladness as, as God's presence and power shadows over us and works over us because it's an, always an amazing thing to see God do what only he can do. That's where joy comes from. See, where we fail, he succeeds. Where we're weak, he's strong. And this is what they came back to report to Jesus. What did they say? Like, even the demons, like we've healed people, but Lord, the demons, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a scuffle with a demon or someone that was demon-possessed, but it's not something you yourself can do anything about. You see, if you look up this Greek word demon, one of the definitions say that it is a spirit that is inferior to God but superior to man. It is a spirit that is inferior to God but superior to man. That means God is able to do something about it. We can't. This means without God, ain't nothing happening. And we know this because Luke, this book, tells us of a man who was severely demon-possessed. Like, possessed. It, it says that the people of the city would try to bind him with shackles and chains, but nothing could subdue him. Nothing could control him. And it says day and night you could hear him screaming from the hills, screaming from the tombs as he was being tormented and oppressed. 
And before we count ourselves out of this man's life story, I just want to say this. Like, I don't know if you already know this, but you don't have to be demon-possessed to know you can't change yourself. You don't have to be demon-possessed to know you can't change yourself. You don't have to be demon-possessed to know you might just give yourself over to things you shouldn't. And because of that, some of the choices we've made still haunt us and torment us till this day. And yet that's where God wants to meet you. He wants to meet you in the mess. God meets us in the dirty, in the I've been so selfish. Not pretty looking, bowed up David. That's not who he wants to see because that's not how life is. If we're being honest with ourselves tonight, life is hard. And it's harder when we don't realize or we don't see that our souls need proper tending and caring. It says here in that, in that story that nobody could help him. It says that nobody could save him. He couldn't do anything for himself. It says he would cut himself with sharp stones. Almost as if this was the solution to kind of numb what's happening inside. Tell me that's not everybody in this world. If I just self-medicate, if I just do this, if I just do that, then I'll be able to cope with this pain. Then I'll be able to handle this depression. Then I'll be able to handle this anxiety. And yet Jesus says to us, blessed are those who mourn. What he's saying is, blessed are you when you finally see your condition. When you are honest about yourself and what you're actually dealing with right now. Because it's there where I will comfort you. Not scorn you. Not tell you I told you so. But he is constantly inviting us in. Why? Because we don't got this. Because we fall short. I fall short. Because we always tend to make a mess of things. Maybe that's you tonight. Gosh, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. Stop pretending. Because guess what? Just like demons, even the human heart needs to be met by something more than just human wisdom or human experience. Now, could you picture yourself in these people's, I was going to say sandals. It is sandals. Could you picture yourself in these disciples' sandals? Could you imagine them going through each town, preaching the good news of the kingdom, because that's where we left off. And with that, evidence of God's kingdom advancing as they heal the sick and cast out demons. Like, could you imagine all the people who were outcasted because they were unclean, and the ones who were declared hopeless because of their condition, and now restored back to their families? Because when we read this, when I read this, all we see in this picture is healings and demons casted out. What they're seeing is lives restored. What they're seeing is hope found. Another chance to do what's right. Parents back with children. Children back with parents. But Jesus here paints us another picture. Because while all of this is going on and these missionaries were sent out, this is what actually is happening. He said in verse 17, verse 18, he said, I seen Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, however people want to interpret this verse, it has one main point. Satan has been dethroned. Falling is never a good thing. And the Bible makes it clear that Satan was not only casted out of heaven, but this is also future. 
And so however you want to see Revelation 12 and Revelation 20, the conclusion is that the enemy loses. doesn't matter how you want to see it. The enemy loses big time. Darkness doesn't win. And it is written in this book for us to be reminded that we're on the winning team. Because although Satan's permanent defeat is still future, his loss count is still happening right now. There is a partial defeat happening every single day. Jesus doesn't cast out demons to show you he can do cool things. Jesus casts out demons, heals the sick, raises the dead to life to show you that Satan's time is running short. The light came into the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't do anything about it. This is the report. We went, and the darkness ran for the hills. He says to them in verse 19, I give in you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Before we get any ideas, I, if I could give you guys some counsel, I wouldn't put your hand near a scorpion or a snake, but I will say this. Jesus makes it very clear to us that the powers of darkness cannot stop God's kingdom, cannot stop God's kingdom from doing what it's going to do. Whether it be in your life or in my life, God will continue to push back darkness and establish light. The Christian life is a life of joy when you've been freed from the things you thought you would never be free from. When God meets you in the mess, when God meets you in the broken, and then uses people like us to go out and do the same for others. And while this is happening, the kingdom of darkness is being pushed back further and further and further and further as God's kingdoms continues to advance. And so now that we kind of see what's happening in the spiritual, I want to bring it back to the practical. You see, following after Jesus is full of amazing moments. Can we agree? With the res restoration and all the fruit that comes with God's kingdom, we cannot, de we cannot deny that God is good and he's so good. But if we can be honest with ourselves tonight, this is the truth. Life can get hard, real hard. In fact, life can get really challenging. And what I've learned as a Christian is where there are beautiful highs and mountaintop experiences, what can soon follow after are sometimes like these gut-wrenching lows. And I don't know what some of you might have been through this year, 2023, but I know you've had some harder moments. Guarantee. And although we know that God is in the mix, we still see death decay and disease, and it surrounds us. You see, not too long ago, my wife had three miscarriages, like back to back to back to back. And there just came this point where having children was a little questionable. Like, it's so easy for them. Why is it so hard for us? And yet, if you live long enough on this side of heaven, life can be this way. And so what Jesus is about to do for you and for me and his disciples is reorient. He's about to redirect their motive for joy, not take it away from them. You see, he says this in verse 19, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But he says, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying don't rejoice when good things happen. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying don't rejoice when people's lives are changed. Don't rejoice when people are healed. No, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Jesus is saying his, to his disciples that ultimate joy, 
lasting joy cannot come from this world because John says that this world is passing away. And so if our joy comes from what is temporal, something that is passing, it will never last. And so what does it mean to have joy in the midst of suffering? What does it mean to have joy in the midst of hardship? It means that our hope isn't what, ha what is happening down here, but when we see darkness casted out, when we see lives restored, when we see lives healed, what you're actually seeing is a glimpse of heaven. It is a glimpse of God's kingdom that will one day be here where there's no more death, where there's no more pain, where there's no more suffering. And this is what Jesus wants us to rejoice in. He wants us to rejoice that you and I have a seat at the table. We don't just get to experience his presence and goodness on this side of heaven, but one day we get to have the real thing. You and me, together, with Jesus, ruling and reigning forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But until then, we're going to put up with each other. We're going to continue living as his people. We're going to deal with the hardships through every high and every gut-wrenching low, and we're going to encourage each other not to hedge our bets down here, but in the kingdom that's coming. You see, Jesus not only wants us to rejoice in the experience of God's kingdom, what we're dealing with here, but to rejoice because you and I are permanent residents. And all that you and I feel and see today will eventually pass. And the Bible talks about God coming to put away evil for good and making all things new. We can rejoice because this isn't it. Rejoice because the real thing is coming. Rejoice because you and I have a seat at the table, amen? Now, that would be a good place to end, but I won't. Because this next part is even better. Not only does Jesus command us to rejoice, but what we're about to see is Jesus himself rejoicing. You see, he doesn't rejoice. You see, he doesn't rejoice in the fact that the spirits were subject to his disciples. He doesn't say, Thank you, Father, that my disciples have become professional exorcists. Right? He doesn't say, Thank you, Father, that their healing ministry has finally taken off. No, he says, Thank you, Father. I praise you, God, that you have opened their eyes to the truth. That you have revealed the hidden things which cannot be seen, but you revealed them to the lowly. You revealed them to the unwise. You reveal them to the nobodies, to the undeserving. You see, the rejoicing that is actually happening in this text is in the fact that he knows you and you know him. I have never heard the gospel that way. Have you ever heard the gospel that way? That God rejoices over you because you know his son? Like, ministry is great. Serving God is great. But to have God looking over you, not because of these things, but because you're his, is the picture the Bible paints. This is Zephaniah 3.17. And he's speaking to Israel, but check this out. He says, the Lord, says the Lord your God is with you. Zephaniah 3.17, he is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And it says he rejoices over you with singing. Like singing represents joy. And Jesus says it, there is more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than 99 who think they got it. Like, he's speaking to Israel. Gosh, he's also speaking to us. Like God sings over you 
Have you ever seen? I've never even heard that. I thought he's like some kind of cosmic cop. That's not who he is. He's a loving father. I don't know what parties look like in heaven, but I'm sure it's out of this world. Okay, no more jokes. No more jokes. No more jokes. You see, God rejoices over those who know him and love him. He rejoices over you. Despite your mistakes, despite your backsliding, despite your shortcomings, despite your failures, he is a loving father and he rejoices over you, not because you do things for him, but simply because you're his. That's it. As I said earlier, the Christian life is a life of joy. And there are three things in a Christian's life that gives us this joy. And the first thing is what God does in you. See, it is an amazing thing to see, the, to see God do the work in our hearts as he continues to mold us and shape us into the image of his son every day. Listen, you don't have to be demon-possessed to know you can't change yourself. You don't have to be demon-possessed to know the heart is full of things that are set out to destroy and consume us. And yet God is constantly doing a work in us and he's not going to stop anytime soon. The second thing that brings us joy is what God does through us. As he sent out, these uh, uh, sent out his disciples to do the work for him, there is a joy to be used by God and to see other people come to Jesus as you did. There is a joy to be used by God and see other people come to Jesus as you did. To see people delivered and to see people set free to see God meet people and work in them in such a way that only he can. And yet these two things will never end. Because the truth is this, where God shows us where we need to change, he then takes us deeper and shows us there's so much more. And on this side of heaven, there will always be another demon to be casted out. There will always be another sick person to be healed. This means that although life can be full of rejoicing, we can find ourselves also mourning. We can also, we can find ourselves celebrating in God's kingdom advancing, but that's because the kingdom of darkness is still present. But there is a third thing that gives us joy, and it's something that, in, that nothing in this world can take away from you. No matter how dark it may be in your life, this joy will continue to burn. And it is like what David said, it is the joy of our salvation. The Christian life is full of joy. The first thing that God does is what the first thing that God does is is the work that he does in us. The second thing is what God does through us, but lasting joy, joy that's forever, this comes from what God did for us. The context of what's going on here is that Jesus sent his disciples out to prepare his way for his coming. You see Jesus would soon ride into Jerusalem not as a king with chariots and horses and armies to take back the city, but on a donkey. He came as a king to lay down his life. The whole point of the gospel is that Jesus defeated sin and death by taking it upon himself. What's very interesting is the scorpion and the serpent represents death. It's never a good thing. And I realize that if you ever look it up, when they bite, it's never a sudden death, but a slow one. And you see, ever since the fall of man in Genesis, this world has been cursed. And all we experience here is death, decay, and disease. But Galatians 3 says, Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. You see, Jesus took it upon himself, all of our sins and the curse of death. He paid it all. He paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. So that when we put our faith in him, 
Now we get to receive the inheritance and the blessing of eternal life. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's no more. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that the enemy is being defeated every single day. I thank you, God, that there is victory in you and what you've done on the cross. Lord, I pray that our faith would continue to be strengthened here. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a boldness to continue to go out, not in our strength, but in your strength and in your power. We can't do anything on our own, Lord, but you will not send us out and not call us to do the things that you won't empower us to do. And so let us trust you in that, Lord, and let us be encouraged tonight, God, that we, our names are recorded in heaven. Despite what happens here on earth, despite all the hardships and all the things that we might go through, Lord, let us remember that the kingdom of God, that you, the king, you're on your way. And so let us get busy and be busy about the Father's business. The most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. I don't know where I heard that, but I heard that.